Are you unable to concentrate on the tasks at hand? Do you need help focusing more or leveling up your game? Here's a tip. Try Cognizant Citicoline, clinically studied to support mental energy, focus, memory, and attention. Cognizant supports brain health and supplies the brain with the energy it needs to stay sharp. Cognizant is a leading nootropic featured in over 200 products. This podcast is powered by Cognizant. Visit Cognizant.com to learn more and find a product to help you fuel your day. Ready to achieve great heights? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Power Your Performance, the podcast where we dive deep with leaders in the gaming world and beyond and learn the techniques they use to power their lives. I am your host, Gary Kleinman. Power Your Performance, powered by Cognizant, welcomes Christopher Laporte. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Good morning. It is a pleasure to have you from the confines of Las Vegas. Sunny Las Vegas, a balmy 78 degrees today. Well, it's better than the floods you had a couple weeks back with the water in the casinos. And yeah, my guess is that. people still sat on the chairs and gambled with wet feet. Just <laughs> right. press those buttons. <laughs> That's great. Are you a native Las no, Vegas? Las Vegas. I moved to Las Vegas in 2005 from Brooklyn, New York. Ah, a New Yorker. That's a big cultural shock, New York to, or Brooklyn for sure, to, to Vegas. Took some time. It did. And when you got to Vegas, I mean, obviously you've been in gaming and, you know, land-based entertainment and things of that nature. Were you always a gamer growing up? Was gaming oh, a passion? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I actually, it's funny. I was asked to do a, like a short story during the pandemic about how to cope through the pandemic. And I listed my times being this, you know, seven-year-old kid going to the laundromat excitedly with his mother <laughs> because you can get to play Double Dragon and Rampage in the yard. Now, not even the arcade, just the laundromat itself. So, yes, definitely born and raised in the arcade, you know, landscape. That's great. And when did you start Reset? So Reset actually started back in 2016. That was after I had my foray into the barcade industry with Insert Coins in 2011. And your entry from the barcade, give me some context for that. Sure. So in 2005, I moved out here. I was doing medical device sales, working with GE Healthcare at the time. And I was playing, you know, Street Fighter in the local arcades in New York, right? So the Chinatown Fair, for instance, was something that I was able to be a part of at some point. But coming out to Vegas in 2005 was the first Evo tournament in Las Vegas. And so I got to see, you know, this unbelievable competition that was, you know, maybe 200 people mm -hmm. in Green Valley Ranch Casino. And I just, you know, sparked an, a desire to open up a venue that caters to what I saw as more people like me. And, and, and more people like you just coming in casually, almost like a mini land center with food and beverage. Yeah, look, I so you know, when we were ideating insert coins, it was like I was going to sports bars in Las Vegas all the time where video poker machines are everywhere, right? Right. I was like, why do I want to watch this when I'd rather play Street Fighter? So let's build a place where I can do that. And it really was more of a, you know, I, I wanted to create something to attract non-endemic audiences to it and show people that, hey, this world that I'm in is kind of fucking cool. Yeah. Come on through. And it worked. So, yeah. Have you seen the change in the non-endemic audience in, in terms of gaming? 
I mean, yes and no. You know, there was a time where everyone in the casino looked at us funny because we were carrying arcade sticks, you know, at Mandalay Bay or Caesars Palace, you know, or anywhere that Evo tournament has, you know, kind of called home over the past few years. But it's clearly much more understood, which is exciting. And there are a lot of new barcades that I think are doing stellar work, like, you know, OSNYC, Valhalla, the Esports Lounge, I believe that's in Texas. And so, you know, there are people out there still going after that market. And I'm glad to see that that attention is still there. Yeah. Yeah, I know that there are quite a few. I'm actually later today looking at a virtual reality esports facility that's opening outside of Dallas, 100,000 square feet. The interesting thing from from their perspective is the the game that everyone's going to play is their game. <clears throat> so they own the IP, and okay. and it's a great game, and and it makes sense. And they'll have a bar and food and everything else. But it is certainly immersive entertainment built around a video game. How long did you own your barcade? Almost five years. And and it just reached the end of the lease and you said no more? No, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. You know, this is when esports really started to kind of percolate in the minds of a lot of people in Las Vegas. And I, I really featured, I put a lot of energy into that esports market back in, let's say, 2013. And that's when my numbers started to go down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were doing four and a half million dollars a year gross revenue. And where we were catering to everyone, like, hey, come play video games and hang out and listen to the DJ play music. And it really worked. But, you know, I just wanted to kind of champion this esports scene and the numbers just kept going down and kind of was an eye opener. It's just how niche the esports industry really was from a North American standard. And, you know, in Las Vegas, when you're new, you know, you're the hot girlfriend. And then after four or five years, you're just a girlfriend. And so, you know, we didn't really I, I made my fair share of mistakes to not properly like evolutionize my venue as vegas mm -hmm. always looks for something new and tasty but you know at the end of the day it was a great learning experience and i still think that we have a lot of work to do yeah no question so just before we started recording we we're talking about the whole gambling side and the consulting so talk to me about esports and gambling i know that there are lots of platforms there seems sure. to be a lot of capital going yeah. into the, <laughs> the the gambling they say it is a perfect activity for gambling, because you know, there are a lot of prop bets and there's, you can do kills sure. and, and, and everything else. What's your take, your opinion on the current state of esports and gambling? And where do you think the future is in that? So I, I think the cart is way before the horse at the moment, you know, and working with a lot of, you know, key people here in Las Vegas, trying to get the first esports bets. And then during the pandemic, you know, offering esports bets and just seeing very little action and, and not enough to make the casino guys and the big buildings get excited. And rightfully so. You know, I mean, let's talk about it's got to be a win win. And, you know, again, we can sit here and sell all the big stories about, oh, you can bet on this killer, this, this, that, and the third. We're still talking about, can we bet on how fast the next pitch is going to be in baseball? Right. That hasn't happened yet. Right. So, you know, as I see it, there's something about the opportunity, and I'm glad you brought up the VR, you know, concept earlier. We have to cast the wider net. And this has always kind of been my philosophy. Like, how do you open up this audience to the largest possible you know room and 
let's just start with when I look at something like Rivalry, for instance, we're talking about different, you know, esports betting platforms. So some one of the things that they have is like almost like a digital version of horse racing that's more like marbles on Steam, where you're just betting on what's gonna be the first to win. Like let's attract gamers to just bet on fun video gamey things before we start to pigeonhole ourselves into quick let's do League of Legends. Because for what it's worth, look at North American League of Legends, you know, viewership over the past few years, it's not going up, you know, if it's going down. So, you know, to sit here and, you know, and I've seen some numbers that just, you know, I always want to speak quite transparently about things, but like, we're not a $133 billion opportunity, you know, but that's numbers that's flying around right now in terms of esports betting. It's like, guys, slow down. We're not there yet. One day, maybe, but that's like 20 years away. So, you know, as I see it, as we see more of a cultural impact on esports, then there's an opportunity for betting on esports. And you I know, don't I mean, see I think that it's interesting, bet. and you know better than I, I believe the first esports bet was at the downtown Grand Hotel and the William Hill, and somebody placed a bet. And I think that was one of the last bets as well. And, and media jumped all over and said, okay, there's betting. It was a single bet. My guess was done internally for the PR being the skeptic that I can be sometimes. And then it it all went away. And it, yeah. it just seems the worst thing that the industry can do is support the hype without right. without the substance. And and from the big, you know, you're, like I said, there's so much capital is going into betting because betting has been from a fantasy ba- basis in stick and ball sports just a right. boom from sure. you know I'm old enough to remember rotisserie baseball let alone fantasy baseball and and the dollars have been enormous and, and I think one of the challenges and I'd love to get your opinion on what seems to be happening and continually happening is powers that be look at gaming and say we're going to just follow the road of stick and ball sports and if that's what they did we're going to do that and we're going to be successful because so many people game and I think there's a complete disconnect with following that model. Now, look, I'm, I'm really glad you brought this up, and this has been a great conversation thus far. So thank you for having me on. Oh, my um, pleasure. You know, the idea of, you know, let's just get right to it, right? Overwatch League and Call of Duty League. Like, let's make these teams that are in different cities and this, that, and a third. And, you know, some VC report is out there saying this is going to be as big as the WWE. And look, I'm glad VCs threw money into the space because it gave us a couple extra steps to get more, you know, seen seriously. I've never been very good at getting investment capital because I don't tell that story. (laughs) I'm just like, yeah, we got to build it up little by little by little. But that said, you know, I I do think that we're seeing the folly of replicating traditional sports. And, you know, at the end of the day, the thing that always worked was skin gaming, right? That's the that's where the numbers came from was skin gambling. And, you know, that's why you see NFTs now and you see all these other ways of, you know, trying to tackle this this market. But it's not in any way, shape or form going to be by way of finding your favorite player on your local hometown team, because we just don't even have that with high school and college right now. You know, I keep looking from a North American standpoint, maybe these numbers are out there in Brazil, maybe these numbers are out there in Asia. But, you know, I don't like to be anecdotal too much, but I have a 12 year old son and guess what? I'm one of the biggest video gamers in Las Vegas (laughs) And, and he knows it because of how much work I've done in this space. And he's like, Dad. I like to play football and my neighbors, right? I live in a lovely neighborhood with lots of families and all these kids are not exactly talking about, you know, CSGO or Valorant all the time. So we have to continue to develop the culture and community around this and build this up. 
And then one day, yes, these leagues will be something. But for right now, what I've always said from day one is this has to be a traveling circus. You know, these are, these have to be events. These have to be entertainment-driven before we start getting to the skill side of things. You know, I just went to the Las Vegas Aces basketball game a couple nights ago with my family. And while, you know, the game itself was great and I was really, you know, excited and me and all the kids had a lot of fun, they were really into all the entertainment that happened between, you know, the yes. the basketball game itself, you know, and it's those things that we still haven't quite figured out as to how to package esports into this whole package that can entertain everyone and really hit that number we're trying to hit. So that was a lot to say. To no, say, no, it's it's all it's all <laughs> it's a, no, it's all salient. And listen, I, I had developed a digital media platform called Wham for esports. I was kind of the the MTV. Of, of gaming, so to speak. Sure. And it was really difficult. One, product, production is incredibly expensive. The tail for revenue and audience is astronomical. And if you look at most of the media properties in the space, they have not been successful. The, the single largest one is Venn. You know, How'd that, that go? That, that $50 million and out of business in 14 months. And now G4 TV, just a couple days ago, if not yesterday. Yeah, what happened with eSports TV? No, G4 TV. Oh, G4 TV, yeah. Yeah, that you know that was supposed to be, oh, this is going to be the guys who do it better than Venn. And yesterday, I think it was like 20 to 30, at the time of this recording, yeah. 20 to 30 people were laid off. So, you know, the the idea of chasing these this gamer market through traditional means is it, not It's just not there. It. <laughs> it, it, you know, and, and it's an interesting comment because as, as, a, as somebody in the space, and we're in it from a health and wellness perspective mm -hmm. uh, more so than, than, than the gaming per se, I don't know why everybody thinks gaming has to be monetized. Why can't it just be the game and the people gaming and its community? And when you have that community and the community is growing and it's stable, that maybe you look at ways to attempt to monetize it. We're we're putting money before the product. Yeah. You and I, it just baffles me in many ways, where people talk about the these cumulative numbers of esports, and and I was kind of thinking of it last night, in in advance of this conversation, a couple others is that. You know, esports reminds me of the auto industry in many respects, right? That yeah. there are hundreds of millions of cars on the road. But would you be, would you want a GMC terrain dealership that only sold GMC terrains, right? right? When you look at the entire industry, yeah, there are a lot of cars. But if you look at, you know, individual cars, or you look at Buick or even Oldsmobile, it, it works cumulatively, but it's so siloed in in its minutia, and there's not crossover. You know, like you bring up your 12-year-old who, if he were to play whatever game is his game of choice, he's probably not playing at any given time three different games, right. and he doesn't care about the other games that he's not playing. And and I think that's a challenge with, with these sports. We talk about it as this single category, like we say, baseball, football, eSports. But sure. baseball is played the same way wherever it is, anywhere in the world, and you know what you're going to get. eSports is, you know better than I, thousands of titles. And and Yeah, that keeps adding because we had to put something there to make the numbers look good. And I always like to make the joke about chess suddenly becoming an eSport about a year and a half yeah, ago. I, was I, like, okay, I, so I love that too. When's poker going to be an eSport because it's played online, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 everything is capable of that. And, and I, I find that interesting. 
So do you see the gambling aspect of it kind of waning and and slowing down, or is it still, you know, deep-pocketed people ch- chasing the, this elusive goal? You know, the idea that how do you make a million dollars in esports be a billionaire? You know, I, I, I do have both in my heart of hearts and my mind in my mind, right, is that this is real. It's just that the delivery has been at a fault. Because to your point, I think the narrative has always been, and I'm guilty of it as well. When I first jumped in the hype train about Riot Games, like, oh, this esports thing, like this is going to be massive because I saw it in Street Fighter and I was in my bubble and it only got out after I got, you know, knocked unconscious of reality when the business failed. So that's sometimes what you have to do. But in terms of the betting opportunity, I definitely think it's there because, I mean, I laugh at this example all the time and it really bothers my esports friends, but too bad. One of the biggest games that's exciting in the casino floor today is literally a crane machine that we grew up playing in yeah, like David the claw machine. The claw machine. Yeah. There's a there's there's literally a gambling machine just like that right now. And the kids are eating it up. And I'm like, there it is. You know, I mentioned earlier, I grew up in the arcade. I'm 45 years old. I'm retiring way before these esports kids are. Make something for me and my generation. Yeah. There it is, the claw machine. Yeah. And then there's the, you know, the derby machine, which is the horse racing thing. It's like it's it looks like a video game. It feels like a video game and you can gamble on it because not everyone today is really into the craps and the roulette and those games that right. I personally love. It's one of the reasons why I came to Las Vegas, right? <laughs> I just love the allure of the casino market. But that's not what necessarily gravitates today's audiences. So they are growing up on loot boxes, right? They are growing up on, you know, these different ways of, I mean, look, you can, as of what, two years ago, you saw Twitch, you can watch NFL football on Twitch. And they're literally asking you what's going to happen at the next play. I mean, clearly this is some kind of research that's being done. And one day we're going to be betting, you know, via these platforms. So to tailor video games first before we get into esports, I think is the way to go because you're going to hit that market. It's easier to normalize. And, you know, it's just it's just what you have to do. Start with the larger market, earn money off that and then work your way out. If you just want to go after that small niche, you're just going to set money on fire until it's finally large enough. Well, I, I think both, you know, there, there's. There is a lot, and, and probably media is as much not to blame, but responsible. You know, esports is just a small percentage of gaming, right? right. You know, gaming is, as I referenced earlier, just a bunch of people wanting to play with their friends. Mm-hmm. And the hours that they're spending in front of Twitch is to be better so they can beat their friends. It, it's it's not necessarily. And I think the other thing that's changing, and it, it, it really supports your point, is if you look at FaZe Clan and... and going public in the SPAC and the whole thing, whether it's successful or not, time will tell. But they look at themselves as an entertainment company, not an esports company. And you start seeing Liquid and Immortals and all the other 100 Thieves, even though a lot of them are having the layoffs because the, the business model of that team is not a healthy business model, no. that they all look at themselves as entertainment. And right. And even but, and even the 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 talent agencies uh, where I speak to several of them, I actually am hosting a panel for the Pepperdine University Entertainment Symposium next week, and one of the panels is about data and esports. And and the agents that I have on have all shifted one hundred percent of them to creators, not esports athletes, but creators that might create content in esports but they're creating 
content on the halo, pardon the pun, on the halo of gaming. And and that's where they say because they, they couldn't monetize the the esports side. So so let me throw some ideas at you. And this is where the reset Las Vegas kind of concept developed and why we're so excited about the future of gaming as a whole. You know, when I look back in the early 2000s, I always like to tip my hat to the Palms Casino and the Maloof Brothers for how they attracted a young audience to Las Vegas. And that was by way of MTV Real World. They, you know, they talked right to that audience directly and said, hey, look at everything in Las Vegas. And, and it worked. That's what Twitch and YouTube can be for Las Vegas. And we're just not necessarily there yet where we're really marketing directly through these you know, channels and talking to this audience that really does have you know, significant reach. But to your point, it's the entertainers on Twitch and YouTube, not the esports athletes. You know, I think there's way more impact when Val Correa or Pokimane say something on their channels than if, you know, give me a name of an esports person yeah. It, bleh, it it just it doesn't <laughs> it resonate. Doesn't, doesn't register, correct? Right, and so to start there, I think is you know, and this is to your point about the face clan. Like, why are they saying they are what they are? Because they have a kid who's making twenty percent of their revenues because he's telling people to buy their subs right. on his YouTube channel, and the guy does not play video games professionally. He just does MTV weirdo kid shit. Yep. I mean, just truthfully, right? He's just doing weird things. And kids eat it up. So it's a very, very young market, which is why I'm always careful about how we position Las Vegas because we're a 21 and up market. And I do believe that eventually there'll be this, you know, market that does grow up and really hit our Las Vegas strip and enjoy all the amenities that we have to offer. But it is not in any way anytime soon. And it is not in the direction of esports first. It's just more this cultural relevance of this new, you know, just online lifestyle that a lot of today's kids are a part of. And then when you look at, you know, Las Vegas as as a destination, so to speak, it's transient, right? I mean, because the strip, I mean, people come in, they leave, they come in, they leave, and you've got the communities around it. And most everyone I know that lives in Las Vegas says, I never go to the strip or very rarely will go to the strip. So if it's transient, how do you capture consistency and continuity? in 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 that market you know again i go i'm actually thinking that what you're saying is going to change soon because of the size or the growth of the city as a whole right we've had quite a lot of people moving to las vegas over the past year there's clearly a lot of benefits living in nevada our population is increasing significantly and we are looking for more ways to harness that local community and give them those things the strip you know is what the strip is with 40 million people coming here a year there's a way to hold your, again, I said the circus before, hold your entertainment events, hold things that are interesting, conventions, conferences. These are the things that work because it's three days, four days, you know, but just, just do one esports event. It's it's just okay, good luck. Right. But, you know, with the local market, we're large enough now where, I mean, there was a time where there were like three or four land centers in Las Vegas and it, it really dwindled down to just one. And I'm not talking about the esports arena because that's on the strip. We're not talking right. about just like a local community. And that's Press Start Gaming. You know, and those guys have been going at it for years and their numbers are starting to go up. And so we are seeing that there's a local Las Vegas audience that is growing and developing. Again, not the critical mass that's being advertised, but it's significant growth nonetheless. 
So I do think that you have opportunities. And I mean, I'm saying this because I'm preaching for myself because I'm going to reintroduce, you know, this insert coin style bar. We're going to talk cannabis, about that in a minute. I, but it's I, a cannabis. I, 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 I definitely right. want to get to that. Well, you know, to your point, um, there are several companies in that localized space. Belong Gaming has, I think, currently six or seven centers. However, a week or two Promise ago, 500. Promise 500. Uh, yeah, and then but two weeks ago they said uh, they're now we're stopping with the company owned. We're going to go to a franchise model. Simplicity Esports out of Florida has did that, and they they acquired a chain. And I I don't think that they've moved the needle. I spoke yesterday with the people at Glitch who are building. Yeah, I heard of them. Thirty six arenas. Okay. You know, with, with a budget of one and a half billion dollars. Okay. And, and that was an interesting conversation, <laughs> to say the least. And they're really, you know, the interesting, they're, they're all really bright people, sure. very experienced in aspects of gaming and certainly land-based entertainment. Um, and they all see differences in why they're going to be successful and or not. But even on a local basis, if, if you look at the basically an exaggerated land center they're almost the math tutoring centers for gaming right yeah and what and how do you put butts in the seat at 11 in the morning right and and if you don't do that so so tell me about the the refresh or the rebirth of what you're doing reset yeah so you know after my venue closed i was approached by a gentleman who was working in the regulatory space and this was in 2015 he was like look we're going to legalize cannabis and there's going to be a time where you can have lounges that allow for cannabis usage. If could you do insert coins with weed? I said, yes, I can. Let's go. <laughs> and like, let's do this. But you know, regulatory processes take time. We actually only got the announcement yesterday of the application process starting next month. It is a lottery system. There is no guarantee I'm going to get one of these things, but I've worked on this long enough. Can't stop letting go. And what I'm excited about is when I look at esports, I look at it as an activity that needs to be introduced to new people and learned and appreciated and touch and feel versus just seeing like somebody doing it on the street on, on a stream somewhere. And I bring this up because, you know, we are looking at this opportunity to build a venue where you can eat, drink, smoke, you know, your cannabis. This is no different than going to a bar. It's a new, what do I like to call it? Social lubricant. And the idea of offering a product that is very Las Vegas high-end that goes to a billion-dollar industry. And I wasn't talking about esports. I was talking about cannabis. Yeah. Cannabis is a billion-dollar industry just in Nevada alone. And when I see that number, I say, okay, great. Let's attract that billion-dollar in my state alone audience. Come on in. Enjoy the music, the entertainment, and here's a controller. And you know, just have that as an additional activity and start to slowly grow this audience the way we've done it from the very beginning, which is community growth grassroots. We're still grass. We're not these redwood trees that are being kind of described by way of this industry. It's not there yet. We are still grass. And so I'm going to sell grass. And um, we're very excited about the opportunity of it, combining different entertainment with cannabis and gaming and esports. And I'll tell you, I just saw yesterday, OSNYC, again, yesterday at the time of this recording, you know, they're announcing that they had Hassan, Abi, and Valkyrie at their venue. And the numbers were massive in yep. terms of the, you know, the exposure they got from that. Well, great. We're in Las Vegas. You know, we want to invite those kind of streamers to have fun, have a good time and show their audience that, you know, there are places to enjoy and be seen. And, you know, it's a social environment. It's a place that's welcoming. 
And I think those are the things that have been missing in esports for a long time. The lack of inclusiveness, but at the same time, the lack of education and outreach to audiences outside of the hardcore gamer. Yeah, it, it, it certainly has. And I think to a certain extent, the hardcore gamers have not wanted to open the doors to outsiders. That, right. That they, and I hate the word being authentic because it's overused, but they mm. want that to have a credible experience for gamers. And they, you know, who was I, I was talking to um, somebody a couple of days ago who's heavily in, involved in the collegiate sponsorship space for, for esports. And what shocks me is when talking to her, said, yeah, you got all these brands coming in and they're going to pay some dollars for sponsorships and not one of them executes or you know activates their sponsorship. So, you know, they'll slap an automotive company, right. you know, on a header on tickets and some swag, but they're not doing test drives on site or, or they're not doing car washes on site or whatever they could activate to actually give value. And I think the pandering that, that yeah. corporate America has towards gaming is seen through what I had said earlier, the monetization. But if, if there's nothing there to monetize quite yet. Mm. And, and hopefully brands or whoever it is that, that's running the space takes a few steps back, takes a couple deep breaths and go, okay, this is how we go forward and get integrated in the community. You know, when I hear you talk about your your new plans, do, does that then restrict visitors to being over 18 because it's cannabis? It's still going to be a 21 and up It is 21 only. and up, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you can have MedMen put a little kiosk in there, right? Uh, I mean, look, there's anything's possible. You know, this is the beauty of the situation, but I, I still go back to when I look at the esports arena on the strip, for instance, right? We talk about esports, esports, esports. Their biggest event is a Mario Kart event. Why? Because that's what's culturally relevant. That's fine. That's great. I don't have to be an esports venue. I could just provide a PlayStation 5. What do you want to play? And, you know, start to really develop those audiences to see that, hey, one day this is something I can gamble on. So I'm excited about just the sky's the limit because, because we're in Vegas. But we're not going to take ourselves as seriously as so many others where we have to be this thing, hard-nosed esports, and I think that's will be our success. I think so. Well, I appreciate the time. Great conversation. I wish you well. As you get closer to opening, certainly come back. We'll, we'll discuss what you're doing and where you're going and give you a forum to do that. The perspective, it's always great to get different perspectives from, from people on the inside that actually live it and have been successful and unsuccessful uh, almost simultaneously because that's the journey that we all take. So Cognizant, Empower Your Performance, absolutely appreciate your time and let's stay in touch. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the MAP Esports Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Please be sure to leave us a review and follow us on your favorite podcast player.